0: Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontes, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, welcome back for week two of the wilderness. Now, You may be surprised to learn that the Bible speaks fondly and extensively about the wilderness experience. People like Jesus were in the wilderness, or Hosea, or the Israelites, or David, Elijah, the prophets. They all had a wilderness experience. Literally having something done in them and through them because of experiencing some growth in the wilderness. The wilderness experience can be hard. But it's also very, very sacred. But most of us, whenever we go through those really, really difficult times in the wilderness, we are transformed. And hopefully for the better. Maybe you've been in the wilderness. Or maybe you're currently... In a wilderness experience a place of danger of trouble of feeling lonely feeling lost experiencing scarcity being in the wilderness for a long period of time is incredibly difficult it's hard Because it literally tests everything about you. It's like grabbing that toothpaste, and as you squeeze it, what comes out? Everything on the inside of that tube. And when you go through the wilderness, you feel the, the vice pressing in, and all of a sudden, everything on the inside of you comes out, and sometimes we like what we see, and other times not so much. Because it's the wilderness. It brings out of you what's inside of you. The military understands how sacred the wilderness is. They will take the common soldiers, some of the best of the best that are just common, and they take them to the highest mountains. They take them to the hottest deserts, to the coldest places on the planet, to the swamps. They take them to the worst places imaginable, and then they train them. Why? So they go from being a common soldier soldier to being an elite warrior because it's in the crucible of the wilderness that they find out who they are and who the other people around them are and then they can find out whether or not they can be trusted in battle or not the wilderness it's sacred you know the wilderness experience comes or it happens on one of two reasons One, because Marvin's in a spirit of rebellion, kind of like the Israelites 40 years in the desert. Or the other is because it's preparatory. God is trying to prepare. God is trying to develop in me something that I need to go forward to do what he's called me to do. In any case, it's always transformative. Get rid of that rebellious attitude and prepare me for the mission in front that I may not even know that, he's called me to be a part of. So what can we learn from the great cloud of witnesses? What can we learn from the men and women of God who've all been in the wilderness? You know, there's two classes in life. I've I've shared this before. There's Mr. Wisdom's class and there's Mr. Consequence's class. See, Mr. Wisdom's class says, I can learn from my own mistakes or from somebody else's mistake, and I don't have to do it again. I've seen somebody else run hard as they can right into a wall, and they got a bloody nose, and I go, you know what? I don't need to do that. Lesson learned. Thank you, Mr. Wisdom. Great class. But how many have to go to Mr. Consequence's class? You have to be the one who runs right into that wall yourself. Get the bloody nose to find out that was dumb. Why did I do that? Because I don't learn any other way. I'm the one who has to play with the mattress to get burnt. The truth is, we take both our classes. Let's be smart to take Mr. Wisdom's class a whole lot more than Mr. Consequences' class. Somebody say amen. today we're going to be looking into a story about being patient in the wilderness now patience is not always something fun but it's important so father I just pray that you would help us Lord Lord help us to understand the need of patience Lord not to fight against it not to come in oh I've heard lots of sermons on patience And then, Lord, just kind of check out and then miss what you wanted all of us to hear today. God, help, help us to be sharp, to be able to see and to hear what you want us to see and hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in a most unique time in history. No other time in the history of the world can anybody just go like this in their back pocket and say, what do you want me to look up? I can get it for you instantly. Siri. And we can easily act. I have more power in my hand right now than, it, than the computing power they had to process to get a man on the moon and back. Isn't that crazy? We live in an instant, immediate culture. Now that can be a problem because you know what? I've learned this about God. I've got the great here to prove it. He doesn't move on my time schedule. Am I the only one? How many know God is slow? Come on, God, speed it up. Any day now. God, use my watch. Yours is broken. God doesn't work that way. Because of things like our phones, we have the option to have many things in life immediately. Almost anything we need is at the push of a button. I remember being the kid, I was the designated TV changer. And man, when they got that wire that went to the remote control, I was in heaven. It was before wireless remotes. But now, do you know people can do stuff to their houses with their phones from Hawaii? They can turn their air conditioning on and off, and they can open up the door and close. I mean, no other time in history has man been able to live like this. But what if God intends to teach us something in our season of being in the wilderness by granting us patience, not instant, not immediate? Do you not see that there would be a natural conflict for you and I? there's two familiar Old Testament figures that we're going to be looking at today. One's King Saul and one's obviously David. Um, and we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 24. Now, now this time in the Scripture, David had been chosen by God. He's been anointed by the prophet Samuel to become the next king of Israel. Now this is kind of a crazy deal. You've got to understand that this almost seems like a coup. Because Samuel's king, and he's got a son named Jonathan, so when that guy dies, this one takes over. That's how it's done. But somehow, the prophet's going, nope, God told me to do something different. Goes over to Jesse, finds all his kids, says, nope, all those guys are wrong. Don't you have any other sons? And he says, well, I got one. There's a whole other story in that in itself. And they bring out David. And they anoint him. But the time's not yet. He's just anointed to be king. He's not to be king yet. Now, I don't know about you, but if you just pour that oil on me and said you're anointed to be king, whoo, here I go. God didn't say to take the throne. God just said you will be the next king. So here's where we pick up. The, the story picks up where David is constantly, for whatever reason, maybe because he's killed a giant and he's got the popularity of the people, and so some guy named Saul is jealous, and he figures, I'm going to take out this threat who might want to take my throne. So he constantly is hunting and hunting and hunting to find David that he might kill his adversary. But David doesn't view him that way. So David's on the wrong, He's living a life like a bandit, like a pirate, and he's got a big gang of guys behind him, and they're just going and going and living life. Well, all of a sudden, in the back of a cave, this is where David is at with his, with his buddies, and Saul comes in to relieve himself, and while he's back there, this is what's happening. So let's pick it up, starting at verse 1. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David was gone into the wilderness of Engedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. He just got done fighting a war. Now he wants to go and do what? Let me get back to my personal business. I want to kill somebody named David. David. At the place where the road passes some sheepfold, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power and to do with as you wish. Now these guys are committed to David. They're willing to lay their life on the line. You can't get somebody more committed than somebody fighting arm to arm with you. They're saying, come on, kill the guy. God set this up. We're in a cave and we're back here. Those guys won't even be able to help them out. Let's do it. So David crept forward. And cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience (laughs) began to bother him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. Do you see how he thinks? He thinks that the person who is the king of Israel is anointed and chosen by God and to attack him is like attacking God directly himself. I can't do that. That position is sacred. God created that position. God put Saul there. How do I dare do that? I love God. How dare I cut the king's garment? What's wrong with me? Now, his buddies don't see that. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. This story has a lot of moving parts happening all at once. So as we break it down together, here's the first thing we have to realize about about having patience. Patience. In seasons of being in the wilderness it's bad enough to have patience for something you know ever smell some really good baked goods and, and you're like no way i am so hungry that is the best bring it you just can't wait till mama looks the other way and you grab the cookie you know what i'm saying and run out of the, just can't wait no patience but this is different this is in the wilderness where there's danger, there's trouble, there's all sorts of issues going on, and you're thinking, this is survival mode. Why wouldn't I kill? Why wouldn't I take this matter into my own hands? But you have to understand, when I have patience, patience gives perspective. Much of this life has to do with viewing our situation through the right lens. Like wearing someone else's prescription glasses. Now, these are mine, they belong to me, but if I took my wife's glasses, I might look better. (laughs) But man, is that messed up! You're blurry, you're all fuzzy. You don't look right. Boy, do you look sick out there. Why? These aren't mine. I'm looking through the wrong lens. Now I want to put these on. Whoa, you look marvelous. When we look at the wilderness, when we look at situations in our life and we're being attacked, we've been abandoned, or we've been falsely accused, we've gone through this, we've gone through that, and all of a sudden when we're looking and we don't look at them through the lenses of how God would want Marvin to look at that situation, I see things all blurry, all out of focus, all messed up. I don't see it clearly. I see it through my weakness, my frailty, my selfishness, my inadequacies. Do we have people in here who are a little cold? Should we turn the air off? All right, let's do that. Your pastor pays attention. That's the thing about perspective. It's not so much that you're looking at a situation that can be an issue, but rather the filters of other life experiences. Let let me explain this. Let's say something happened to you, and it was really a bad deal. Now you have something in life that's coming at you a second time, and it's very similar circumstances. What naturally happens is you take that old experience that was not good, you bring it forward, and you wear that, and you look at that person because it's similar circumstances and you don't see them for them. You see them through that other experience here first. And everything you see is only partial of them because it's always this first. The sil- I'm filtering how I see them through the experience of the past. Can you hear me? Go like this can you see me clearly can you Of course not why because the past is dictating how you see the future we have to get perspective and the only way to get perspective is to get patience and the only way to get to patience is to get perseverance See, in this story, David chooses to see Paul's pursuit of him through a different kind of lens than the rest of the guys. As we said earlier in 1 Samuel chapter 16, Scripture tells us David is anointed as the next king of Israel. But at this point in David's story, in this season of his life, it was not time for him to go to the palace. Now, he's been there already. He's played his harp there. But he wasn't to sit on the throne yet. It was time for him to go into training, like all the other elite warriors in the wilderness. It was David's ordained time to wait upon the Lord. So when David chose to wait, to have patience, he actually developed the right perspective. He developed his Father's heavenly eyes. Maybe you're in the wilderness right now, and it's in the waiting that you too, like David, will gain perspective. Maybe as we talked about last week, you're being tested and refined. Or maybe you're running from something like David running from Saul. Or maybe you feel like you're wandering around without any purpose because of that same sin you keep running back to. Not knowing how to find freedom. Or maybe you don't know why you're in the wilderness to begin with. But it's time to be patient. And it's time to trust the Lord. He'll bring you through it in the process. He will develop a new perspective in you if you're patient. It's incredible to observe that while Saul was chasing David day and night to kill him, what was David doing? He was chasing the heart of God. He was seeking him. In the Psalms, we hear about how David was a man after God's own heart. David brought all of his needs, brought all of his struggles, his burdens before God inviting God to come in and meet him in the middle of all of his struggles and the more time David spent with God the greater his perspective became so maybe for you in the middle of your wilderness in order to have perspective you need to lean in to patience I don't like leaning into patience how about you But just because I don't like it doesn't mean I don't need it. The Word of God will help you to trust in Him. To help you to wait. But once David gained perspective, he had to come to another conclusion. Patience requires perseverance. Perspective is what patience gives, but perseverance is often what patience requires to get to perseverance. So how was David pres- pre- preserving... <laughs> it's all these P words. <clears throat> how was David persevering in his story? It seems like in his, he had made up his mind he was not going to kill Saul kill Saul. But think about it. This guy just doesn't stop. He's everywhere trying to kill him. He's got everybody in the kingdom looking and hunting for him. At some point in time most guys would say enough. Have you ever had to say no to something more than once? So here's David. No, I'm not going to kill him. I cut off some of his, of his robe off of that. And now all of a sudden we're going to pick up another opportunity. He has full opportunity to kill him a second time. 1 Samuel 26, verse 1 through 9. Now, when, now some men from Zeph came to Saul at Gilbeah to tell him, David is hiding on the hill of Hakikah. I don't know how to pronounce that. Which overlooks Jeshemon. So Saul took 3,000 of Israel's elite troops and went to hunt, down, hunt him down in the wilderness of Zeph. One guy. 3,000 troops? Saul camped along the road beside the hill of Helkilah near Jeshimon, where David was hiding. When David learned that Saul had become Had come after him into the wilderness, he sent out spies to verify the report of Saul's arrival. David slipped over Saul's camp one night to look around. Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of his army, were sleeping inside a ring formed by the slumbering warriors. Who will volunteer to go in there with me? David asked. David asked Ahimelech, the Hittite, and Abishai, son of Jeruelah, Joab's brother. I'll go with you. Abishai replied. So David and Abishai went right into Saul's camp, found him asleep with his spear stuck in the ground beside his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying asleep around him, around King Saul. God, was sure, God has surely handed your enemy over to you this time. These, these are his friends. A band of brothers. Oh, man, this is God. Come on, twice now? Get her done. Kill this guy. Be done with it. Come on, David, just kill him. Let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the Spirit. I won't need to strike twice. No, David said. Don't kill him. For who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? So David, once again, spares Saul's life. David had to practice patience on more than one occasion. And this requires perseverance, to hold strong to doing what God knew, what David knew God was directing him to do, and what not to do, which was not to kill Saul. Here's a thought to consider. If David had killed Saul it most likely would have been said that David murdered Saul just so that he could become king. Now look at Shimei and how he spoke about David when Absalom. So now let's go fast forward. David's now king. He's been king for a long time. He's, he's had you know, that adulterous affair and, and that first baby's died. And, and now, there's, now all of a sudden Absalom, the whole situation with Tamar and Absalom, And Amnon has happened. And now Absalom is coming back to get his his revenge against his dad for what has happened to his sister Tamar. Right? And so during this time, David and his entourage are out in the wilderness, escaping from Jerusalem because of Absalom is taking over the city. And so while he's way out here, here comes a relative of King Saul. Saul's dead. Jonathan's dead. And and while he's there, he's picking up rocks and he's throwing them. He's pelting rocks at Abishai. He's throwing rocks at the king and he's screaming and he's yelling at them. All these things. So let's pick up on that story. Verse 5, 2 Samuel chapter 16. As King David came to Bahurim, a man came out of the village cursing them. It was Shimei, son of Gerrah, from the same clan of Saul's family. He threw stones at the king and the king's officers and all the mighty warriors who surrounded him, meaning David. Get out of here, you murderer, you scoundrel! He shouted at David. The Lord is paying you back for all the bloodshed in Saul's clan. You stole his throne And now the Lord has given it to your son Absalom. At last you will taste some of your own medicine, for you are a murderer. Did he murder Saul? No, he didn't murder him. Now David had not murdered Saul. He did not murder Jonathan. David had not stolen the throne. It is amazing to me that there will always be some people who no matter the facts or the amount of evidence will still choose on purpose to believe a lie. No matter what. Their passion for their ideology. Their passion and commitment to an organization or to their family or to their friends. That comes first even if it means... Rejecting the truth or rejecting the Word of God. The priorities are messed up. There's confusion at the highest level. Why? Because my family comes first. My friends come first. My ideology comes first. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How about truth? Let's just let truth land where truth lands. How about the will of God? How about God's best? So in this story of Shimei, where he's falsely accusing King David. Now, this is a side note. This this might be a sermon for somebody else here today, but just catch this little part. David didn't murder Saul. And he didn't steal the throne. But he did steal Uriah's wife. And he did murder Uriah. And he knew God was dealing with him. So, just because Marvin or you are not guilty of this thing in your life that somebody's falsely accusing you of, what in your life do you know you're guilty of? And God is trying to get Marvin's attention, your attention. Now, back to the sermon. The faithful men around David, in both scenarios, thought killing Saul would be the right thing to do. Why not? The guy's trying to murder you, David. You killed the giant. If it wasn't for you, we wouldn't even be a nation. Take him out. But David saw the position of the king of Israel as a God-given position that it was anointed. And to kill Him would be equivalent to going after God and attacking God Himself. Are there people in your life, even those you feel they know, they feel they know the best? And they're well-meaning? And they are well-intended? But their voices are leading you away from the will of god their ideas might be good actually they might be really really good but if it's not god's best and god's will it's not worth it it's always second best if it's not god's best we have to be willing to say no and always say yes to god Sometimes we have to say no to the people we love. It's not always the people who don't like us. Those are easy. How about the ones you love? And they love you. David knew that ultimately his patience would stem from his commitment to following God's will at all costs. At all times. And in the end, David would experience God's will. And God's best. In any wilderness journey, there are many options you can take. There are many trails you can take. You could choose to walk down. That might produce a good outcome. Maybe even a really good one. But what if it wasn't God's best? Often God's best for our life is found in the waiting, in the waiting, in the waiting. When I was young, we used to go backpacking a lot. And there's been times where you'd be on a trail, then all of a sudden in this trail, there would be four or five different ways that you could go. (laughs) What do you do now? How many know that many options is not always a good thing? Just take a seven year old and take them to baskin Robbins and tell them to pick one, ice, one flavor. You see what I'm saying? It's the same thing. If you don't know instinctively the voice of God, you're going to listen to many voices. And you might as well have that trail, and that trail, and that trail, and that trail. And any of them might be good, but if they're not the best in God. Here's the other problem. How many know the best voice to listen to so many times for us is who? Me? If we're honest, listen to me. I know what I like the best. How many you know that you, when you listen to me, sometimes it's like, like hitting yourself with a sledgehammer? I wish I didn't listen to myself. How about you? Because I'm so smart. Have you ever felt that you're the smartest person in the room? Let me ask you something. If you've thought it more than once, you've got problems. Because the room knows. Often God's best for our life is is just found in the waiting. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 40 as we're getting, we're gonna end here. Even the youth will faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who say it with me, church, but those shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's not easy to be patient. It's not fun to wait. It's easy to get distracted, to get frustrated, to lose focus, to wrestle with vain imaginations in the waiting room. But the Lord renews our strength in the waiting and gives us the strength we need to persevere. Regardless of what scenario you find yourself in right now, folks, we are all tempted to take matters into our own hands. Some folks are famous for being troubleshooters. What's wrong? Let me figure it out. And now that I know what's wrong, I can fix it. I'm a fixer. I'll fix this right here, right now. Abishai, remember the story of Shimei throwing the rocks? Abishai, he's one of the generals, he's one of the warriors. He says, I gotta f- I'll fix this problem. Just say the word. I'll go over there and I'll cut that dead dog's head off. That's what he said. And David had to tell him no. David actually told him, What if God sent him there? Let him go. Because maybe God will bless me for what He's doing to me right now. How about that? i got to tell you, I didn't like that when I saw that one. When somebody falsely accuses you and David says, oh, just let it happen because maybe God will bless me for it. What? Anybody here want to be falsely accused so God can bless you? Until you've been falsely accused, it's not easy. So Abishai just says, let's cut his head off. Quick fix. But I believe today, through the story of David, God wants to rewire how we think about the wilderness. Maybe God desires for us to be patient even when it's uncomfortable. Even when it may seem like He's given us what we've been hoping for like an opportunity to take out King Saul. But maybe the truth is just trusting God. Because if you do take his head, then everybody would know that you're not called of God. You're not anointed for such a time as this. So here's the question. Are you willing to wait Because the right thing at the wrong time always produces failure. God's best is always on God's timing. Let's pray. Father, as we come before You, I I just cry out. I pray everybody would be praying this with me. God, don't let me move until you have accomplished all that you want me to become, to do, here in the wilderness. Lord, help me to really pray for your will, to pray for your way, and to pray and receive and accept your perfect timing. Father, I'm not saying there isn't a time for us to come against the enemy of our soul and to bind him because he's trying to interfere with God. Oh yeah, there are those times. But Lord, there's also those times where it's you in the wilderness. You're the one who's doing preparatory work in me. Or, Father, removing rebellion out of me, that You can transform me. Oh, Father, the wilderness is sacred. And it's there. You can transform me more and more into like Christ. Father, I pray for Your people. I pray, Lord, that we would not just ask the question of are you spending time with God? But maybe we need to ask the question, how is our time with God? How is our time in the Word? How is our time in fellowship? God, how's my heart? Where am I? Lord, reveal to me the toothpaste inside this body, this tube. And if there's something that shouldn't be in there, help me to repent and to be changed more and more into the image of your Son. God, bless your people, I pray. Bless them. Bless them to be able to see your hand, to see, Father, your work, and what you're doing in us so you can do through us. In Jesus' holy name, amen and amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.